Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Strategio sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a one to two year contract to hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. And today I'm here with Sai Adivi. Sai serves as Vice President of Technology at Inspire Brands, a multi-brand restaurant company whose portfolio includes nearly 32,000 restaurants and seven brands, including Arby's, Baskin Robbins, Buffalo Wild Winds, Duncan, Jimmy John's, Rusty Taco, and Sonic Drive-In restaurants worldwide. He's responsible for driving Inspire's technology infrastructure, tech ops, and QA strategy, which ensures rapid evolution of digital and data capabilities through technology. This ensures systems and technologies used are profitable, secure, and efficient, all while driving innovation across all facets of the technology organization. Prior to joining Inspire Brands, Sai served as director for Delta Dental of California, where he was responsible for platform engineering, DevOps, claims, CRM, and data engineering technology capabilities and platforms. Prior to that, Sai served as senior technology leadership positions at Fresh Direct, Walmart, and Autodesk. Sai, without any further ado, welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Connor. Thank you very much. And it's a really great opportunity to meet you again or on the podcast as well. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's great. I know we've we've had a few chats in the past talking about various things, you know, the the enterprise transformation and modernization process um, that you're you're going through now, and and some of the challenges you face, also some of the successes in the past. I feel this is really interesting because the way uh, the work you're doing at Inspire, it's it's capturing multiple different areas, right? You've got technology transformation for different companies that you bring into one brand and then try and right. spin up other ways to support infrastructure platforms. So there's a lot of lessons in the work you're doing for people now and others who maybe are kind of a bit further back in their process to try and get towards where you're at as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially... As you mentioned, right, the, the transformations we are going through, the same as every other industry might have gone through, are going through cloud, digital, data. So the business side, it's all like uh, digital and data. Supporting that, I'm doing. I'm driving the cloud transformation along with the QA strategy and all that. So the journey-wise, if I look back when I joined and when where we are right now, uh, for sure the processes and the people, uh, that's the key for me to be where I am right now to say, yep, we are at least in the right direction or we made significant progress in this journey is because of those two things we were able to get there. Tools, yes, there are def- definitely tools, but just for the people, the culture, changing the culture, and then the processes of, uh, especially the n- number you referred, the seven brands and 32,000 restaurants, it's, it's a significant number. 
So bringing those processes, unifying them together for a common goal, common good, it, it was a daunting task when I started. So what, what are some of the challenges that having 32,000 restaurants and seven brands bring on a, you know, from, from the past? And maybe what are some of those that you even look at at the moment? The challenges are, of course, each of these brands, what we have are unique in their own nature. Our vision and mantra is ignite and nourish flavorful experiences. So it's not about like bringing in everything together. Doesn't We don't really care about guests. It's all about how we treat the guests. Each of the brand has a unique proposition. So retain, to, to retain that, we need to be very careful how we are supporting it from a technology perspective. So that's the biggest challenge. And now you see with the pandemic and every other uh, digital innovations are happening in retail industry or hospitality industry, consumers are well prepared to demand what they want even in the food industry too, in the restaurant industry. End of the day, they are getting the food served, quality food, high quality food and everything. However, they are also looking at the means of how they get the food, whether it is through delivery or through kiosk or drive-throughs or digital uh, ordering ahead, every aspect of it. So these are the challenges and it, we are making progress. And of course, uh, the automation. Automation is a significant challenge in a scale of what we work at a restaurant's level both in the front end of the restaurant, whether it's a cashier level or in the back office where we prepare the meat or prepare the sandwiches, it's a significant challenge as there as well. Interesting. So some of the, that's what I was actually going to get to. I was going to say lots of restaurants. Uh, if I play stupid for a moment, you know, we're making food. Why do we need technology? What's needed in technology in these scenarios? So we do need technology in multiple facets. It's like, uh, how do I make sure my inventory is optimized. How do I know which day of the week I'm serving or what day of the seasonality I'm serving to my guests? Do I have all the inventory lined up? Do I have all the fresh or the cold stuff refrigerated at the right temperature? Am I losing any money or am I losing anything more on wastage by not maintaining those temperatures? So the technology helps there, Internet of Things. It helps us a lot and it helps us to forecast the inventory uh, more optimized and more efficiently. Instead of stocking up too high or stocking up too low, I know exactly based on the weather patterns, based on the day of the week, how much do we need to stock it up? That's from that inventory part. Then comes the labor. During the entire day, whether it is a Dunkin', it's heavily on the breakfast and maybe in the afternoons, how do I optimize my labor? So where am I supposed to focus heavily rather than uh, maybe a smaller portion and helping the back office the rest of the day? So I could use that. That's all technology is helping. And then comes to the consumer side. So how do I get more consumers? Loyalty, whether it is whether it is loyalty or new customer engagement. So technology helps to bring them into the restaurants, either through the drive-throughs or they order it on the digital channels and they go pick up the food or get the food delivered. So it's touching every aspect in the restaurant industry. Uh, yeah, it, end of the day, it might be arranging a sandwich or a burger, but to get there, technology is right behind it, supporting each and every facet till there. So it sounds he heavily reliant on, on data and feedback from customers, feedback from the systems themselves to be able to build out a really clear um, forecast and projection for what needs to be done, when and how. Correct, correct. Even uh, the point of sale systems, what we use at uh, some of the brands, we do have upselling features. So if uh, someone walks into a Dunkin' store, they ask for coffee, but the cashier, uh, they will ask, they'll get 
reminded on the point of sale system, do you want to take a donut along with a coffee? So we have seen uptick of a significant revenue just by doing those upselling at the point of sale. That again, technology is helping. So having an hourly employee ask, remembering and asking that question, maybe not on a, it not be on a consistent basis, but if you are having the technology augmented by helping them ask the question, every cashier asking the same question, there's a consistency, and then you are seeing uplift in revenue or customer acquisition. Yeah, so even down to the actual, the, the way the, the employees and the staff work, it can be, yeah. can be improved and changed. And a lot of the things you've said, um, I know that example was upselling, but a number of the other things you've said about inventory, logistics, um, mm-hmm. this actually really is going to keep the prices down for consumers, while also ensuring that there's an increase in revenue and a company growth, which is a beneficial thing for most of, uh, you know, companies performing well is a good thing for society, but at the same time, consumers keeping prices low. So I I imagine there's been consistent um, strain on pricing over time. And I'm sure that the current times we're in with natural increases in inflation and things like that, it's even more looking forward into that pressure. So the more technology can be used, it seems like that's really gonna improve the, the quality or maintain quality, either maintain or improve quality while delivering a high quality service and improving revenues. Yeah, absolutely. You're right on that. Yes. So when it comes to um, the technology industry now, it's going through a clear transformation. And we know this, every industry is as well. But when we're focusing on it, it's cool to hear some of the ways it's happening. So what do you feel is different in the restaurant industry compared to some of the other types of, you know, you've worked in, uh, for example, in healthcare, we could say with the dental that you've done, you've Mm -hmm. worked in the likes of Walmart. How do you feel these industries compare in in their movement forward? In the movement forward, for sure, restaurant industry is catching up with the retail industry uh, in the digital transformation, so the technology wise of uh, holistically, uh, our hospitality as well. Uh, and I'm lucky to be part of Inspire Brands, and I feel we are ahead of the curve, and we are pioneers or we are innovators in that in that space. And um, I'm very very lucky to be part of this organization in this journey right at this time. Uh, it's it's a ripened to be transformed and we are there right now to do it. And I'm for sure every other, our competition or our neighbors in this industry are making those efforts these days and they're they're also in the journey along. Yeah. So now now we're we're talking about Inspire. This is quite cool, right? The the idea of it, you're bringing the technology, also things like I'm assuming marketing and data and, and analytics uh, and business services to these different restaurant chains. So let's say you buy a Dunkin' and you already had a, wild, a Buffalo Wild Wings or, or whichever one name you want to use. When that, that company comes into this portfolio, is it that they already had a lot of uh, modern technology infrastructure and they have to then change to use yours? Or is it actually, this is a new way of operating and you're implementing things like their cloud computing, you're implementing automation, mm-hmm. you're implementing pr- processes and using that data, software development practices. As, how is that kind of working? We laid out a common vision. Uh, from a, across the shared services, we use the terminology shared services within Inspire Brands a lot. Uh, part of the shared services vision, we wanted to, other than the consumer experience and the like, say supply chain down to the operations at the restaurant level, operator level, everything else, what is commonality? What can be served as a common 
that's where it comes to infrastructure, the platform, the technology or the tools, what we want to build for digital data for each of these brands. So that's all commonality. So we are building it as a common stack. In the journey, if, as we are acquiring a brand, if we find something that is already there, mature, we can leverage it and we can expand it, we are doing it. If not, we are actually bringing them onto the platform, Germany, what we have started and adding them on and then taking along with us. So that's the approach we are taking. Yeah, it's, it's a great model. It makes obvious sense when we talk through it, the, the idea of this shared services. And if there's not really this uh, you know, modern process is already being used, you've, you've got a way of doing that. So I imagine there's things like onboarding processes and then uh, having shared services teams start to collaborate, maybe uh, upskill other members of the teams that already exist in these other organizations. Uh, and then over time, you're seeing that like what now you've done it with six, seven, I can imagine the next, you know, eight plus uh, companies that come through, it's going to be, there's a lot of lessons that are learned, but it's kind of getting easier mm-hmm. to, to replicate this way it works. Oh, yes. Yeah. From, you're absolutely right. This, the first acquisition or the second acquisition to where we are right now, we have matured a long, long, long. And then now it's absolutely, we're building like playbooks in each of the area, whether it is an employee onboarding. I also own the corporate help desk portion of it, like the team member productivity, we call it. So when we are bringing them in now, we have the common set of tools. So we don't take like a year or year and a half to bring them on to this new journey. We bring them as quick as we can so that they feel they're part of Inspire, not like they don't feel as part of the particular brand anymore. Then we go into this all these larger applications, whether it is back office, ERP, HR, or the digital data. We roadmap it and we know exactly where we need to go and we start onboarding them onto those platforms and providing the same value already the other brands are getting it. So you've spoken a few times about culture and things like people and processes. Uh, it's not just the tools. So why, why can't I just implement, um, let's say, Amazon Web Services, the various frameworks, start using cloud computing, start automating my task? Why, why can't I just do that in, in, in a big company and make that work? Why does the people and process matter? So if we start off, fundamentally, we do still believe digital and data as a startup within Inspire. So the mindset is startup. However, the processes wise, we want to make sure it is a organization because we are serving like 32,000 restaurants and multi-billion customers. So in that process, if I let an individual in the corner just spin up some compute in some public cloud, how do I put it in back in like production? So I have to be careful in that approach. That's why there's like processes. However, we don't deter or we don't slow them down. We have built the platforms in such a way they could feel exactly if they have to go open a public account, get the compute, uh, spin up a Kubernetes cluster or something. It's the same experience they can do it with on the current platform within Inspire, but it is already vetted process. Security has gone through, reviewed it. We have looked at it, all the standards from an infrastructure, governance, monitoring. So they get all the benefits of it. They don't have to have a as an afterthought. Now I built it. So now what am I supposed to do? Should I monitor it or not? Or should I go ask somebody else to monitor it for me? And how much the cost is going to go up from month one to month 10? I have no idea how the traffic is going to. All these things, we help them facilitate. For a prototype, for innovation, absolutely. We have a playground. We let individuals come in and come need request for compute, any resources they need, do the innovation, validate it, vet it, prove it works. Then we get around the industrialization side of the house. Interesting. So there's ways people can learn and, and grow. 
um, to really get up to skill with the ways you're doing things. And then there's also safe environments to, to be able to actually get up to speed. Correct. correct. One of the mantra philosophy, uh, starting from Paul Brown, uh, my boss, Raghusagi and myself, we all believe in, you do the task twice manually. Once it's okay, you do twice and thrice. That is meant for automation. Either it is meant for automation or you relocate it. Are there like any some inefficiencies that we should address it? Whether it is from uh, systems wise or some processes wise or tools wise. So that's the mindset we walk in and we help each one of us to be more optimally efficient. For how long? Like I might say for how long I'm referring to, has it been six months? Has it been five years? How long has a mindset like that been implemented and been operational within Inspire Brands, that idea of automate everything and to, to build safe spaces and environments for people to, to work effectively and efficiently? I would say from the start of the Inspire Brands, uh, from 20, I might be 2018 or 2019 we formed. So 20, that's from then we have been on this journey. So that's the vision of Paul Brown. Like that's what he, we, he looked at it. He has come from hospitality business and they have optimized a lot in that industry. And when he walked in, he found when we were acquiring these brands, he did not want them to run on their own, whether it is their HR or finance or technology, then we are not helping them grow beyond what their capability. They might grow by like 1%, 2%, 3% organic, but they can go beyond their wings and expand in their journey. Rather, if we serve them as a common shared services, still retain your unique con- brand experience, consumer experience, but everything else we help it on a scale of, instead of a 4,000, now it's at a 32,000. So that changes significantly and every one of us are bought into that vision. So that's the main thing that is driving us in, in this journey. That's interesting. So the, you're operating at scale, and it sounds like there's a desire for the company and the teams and organization to continue to grow. What could be some uh, limiting factors to the growth in this scalability? Um, I asked that in a sense of, for, like, is the technology going to be able to scale like this? Could it be the people or the processes? What do you see as some of those t- sort of real limiting factors moving forward? Uh, for sure, technology, I wouldn't say, because it's, it's an emerging. If not, today is one thing, tomorrow we'll find another thing to scale for a billion or two billion plus. So I wouldn't uh, say that. What I would say, at least in a short term to midterm, the talent is where I would say is the limiting factor. Um, in the market, getting an SRE or getting a DevOps or a platform engineer, it's very, very hard. And uh, talent and attitude for them to come in and be part of the ex- this exciting journey is what I'm more kind of concern at this time i i think that you're you're not alone when you say that <laughs> i think um, I'm, I'm glad i asked and it, it's uh, maybe something i should ask more people in, in that same sort of way because uh, it seems like this is the number one thing on everyone's minds at the moment i think it's true to say that we are in this war on talent we're experiencing the great resignation right now um it's it's crazy right like every company is hiring they're offering great packages they're offering good benefits and Retaining talent is hard, engaging them, getting them to kind of buy into the way and the why behind what you do. Um, it just simply took to me what I see is there's just not enough to go around, right? Mm-hmm. We're all looking for people and it's just a case of 
we can't find them because they're not there. So what, what are some of the ways that you're trying to address that shortage of talent? How are you thinking outside of the box to, to really kind of find the people you need? Uh, yeah, sure. This may not be anything that I'm giving like a silver bullet solution. I'm, I'm pretty sure most of my peers have tried it or they're trying it. One of the things we are mixing it, like I'm saying, let's not have 100% on the team, all experienced uh, individuals who, who will be rocking the board, rock stars from the day one. Balance it. Like we do go out to colleges, schools and get interns. We see potential. There are like some things we can help them train on the job. We want to mix that up and build their careers along the along the way as well. So it's helping. That's helping me a lot. And of course, I've been doing this remote global workforce uh, quite a bit for the last like two decades almost. So that is again helping with uh, having a strategic partners to on and off, like wherever it is needed for a elastic capacity, whether it is running a program, a bigger program, relying on them, taking some help and retaining inside talent. It is more around uh, to your earlier point, the why and keeping them excited, especially in this uh, high, high end or uh, very high demand jobs of platform, full stack engineers, DevOps, we have to keep them excited. So if not, like they will just either worn out or they lose interest and they will start looking outside. So how do I keep them excited? Yes, not just building one pipeline and one environment, you're done. How do I keep them excited is where I spend more of my energy and time uh, these days. That's great. Yeah, you've got to be very innovative, haven't you, as a, as a leader, because you've got really, you look for smart people, they work for you, they develop, and then they grow. And you have to stay ahead of the curve to think, I can't just have them doing easy, simple work. Like once they learn that and they do it a few times, firstly, they've automated those tasks there, like you've mentioned, okay. two, three times doing it. Now it's automated. What's next? So Yes, there's always a demand. There's things like use cases. There's also uh, technical debt. There's the consumers. There's constant change needed, but making sure that you're implementing really interesting processes, like having a good underlying why and a good mission for what the team is doing, and then reinforcing that. So, like, I can imagine your vision um, has to, like, it, that's probably one of the things you have to think of a lot while managing all the areas you're talking about, staying focused on where we're going next and like keeping the team G'd up and fired up behind that same goal. Yeah. Yeah. See, we are, even though the vision has been there, like say 18 months back, we are taking like baby steps. We started with the entire platform provisioning automation, then the pipelines for the DevOps pipelines. Then we moved on to the monitoring piece of it, everything like auto monitoring. So now I have to, my focus is to how do I have my team focus on self-heal, self-remediate situation. So using some of the tools, AI and ML tools. And then I want to have them focus on chaos engineering. Again, it's not a new topic. Everyone has done it. In my organization, I wanted to make it like step by step. And at least I see the next like another couple of years, have it under my sleeve already, what I can have, excite my team. Now I have to start thinking what beyond that, how can I excite them? Yeah, exactly. It's like sort of um, not in a sense that your team aren't already aware of what might come, but drip feeding the exciting stuff over time and then making it available. Um, you've mentioned a few interesting pieces there. And while you, you've mentioned that a lot of people know these things or they may have already done it, you know, there could be a balance of people listening to this. They could be fresh, um, early career talent, maybe graduates mm -hmm. or people in boot camps, or it could be another fellow SVP or senior uh, leader at a large company. So we're talking about chaos engineering. We hosted an interesting episode with um, with Tammy on uh, episode two of the, of the DevOps diversity 
University podcast if anyone wants to listen in more detail about chaos engineering and, and site reliability. But you've also mentioned uh, self-healing. Uh, you mentioned AI, ML. Talk to me about self-healing and what, that, what the benefits of that could do in a, in a technology environment. So yeah, right now I have like say level one knock monitoring the systems and we have built all the monitorings. Everything is great. I still need like a manual ice on it. Even if they step out for like a five minute break or a 10 minute break and they forgot or they did not got to notice it, then there is going to be an outage. So, and someone has to manually remediate like saying either freeing up something or uh, killing a pod or restarting something. I wanted to eliminate that. I want to eliminate that and make it like saying something which is a like a playbook. If I would know like if one, two, three steps happen, I have to do fourth step as a manual interaction that should be self-healed automatically. I don't want any manual intervention or I don't even want to have a blip on any of my traffic and any of the brands, uh, customer noticing it or any of my internal business partners noticing it. Even a degradation, I want to avoid it. So how do I make sure that I can do it is through self-healing. If something is happening proactively, let it do what it is supposed to do. Either get out of the traffic, build another pod and let that new traffic take it in or you do take it out and then let's at least investigate and do whatever the root cause later on. But it has to immediately be self-healed at that moment, time and moment. So re- removing the, the potential for human error and also increasing uh, efficiency and effectiveness of the system as a whole. Yeah. Again, as I said, right now we are like seven brands and a similar. Now I'm reached like a, almost like a retail level, almost like a 24 by 7. It's not anymore my restaurant opens at six and closes at like say three o'clock or there is no traffic in three o'clock. Each brand has its own different time of the day journey. For me, the platform has to be there 24 by seven. Yeah. And I do not want, again, to your earlier point, that doesn't excite me as an individual um, knock monitoring or level one or level two engineer to constantly watch a screen to say where it is, there's a blip in service. Rather let the tools help you configure it and help you to find it, self, self-heal it, and then it'll notify you. That way you can understand what's going on, what happened, what's the root cause, and we can fix the foundational issue. Yeah, yeah, that makes absolute sense. So that, that's, uh, it does explain as well, you know, you're bringing in, you're having to develop the systems as well. So hence the need for things like platform engineers, site reliability engineers. Right. So folks that have a development or an engineering background mm-hmm. who can solve infrastructure problems. Correct, correct, correct. That's the talent we have right now um, on the platform engineering and the site reliability who have done built websites and e-commerce and now they're playing in this role of infrastructure. There are no more delineation of uh, infrastructure, traditional infrastructure and traditional full stack engineering. It's kind of those lines are getting blurred and they're coming together. And having that engineering background, everything as a code, everything as a code is what it actually helps us to your earlier point, minimize or come to zero on the human errors as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. So, so if you were looking for site reliability engineers or platform engineers, you've mentioned in that having that experience with software development or full stack development, um, what type of skills other like that's that's like the broad names of it. What would be the, some of the backgrounds prior to that that would get them to that be at that level there where they could be in your company? Anything, I would say the foundational programming language, right? So to start with, and then analytical thinking, 
second is for me is analytical thinking how do i solve the problem uh, often times if those kind of gets combined combined whether it is learning a python or a ruby on rails or a java i i keep joking with all my team members google is there right now to me to get a syntax i can just search it and i can get it on google that's not the key but for me to understand what exactly i'm solving as a problem what's the business problem and then knitting it together how do i solve it such a way that it doesn't have like a lot of gaps or lots of issues is where the individual's attitude and analytical skills helps the fundamental like say c++ java having that background will set the ground for learning any other languages whether it is node.js or python or any one of them uh, that's what i i personally believe in yeah i'm a big believer in the same thing it's about uh, the ability to solve problems that that's really what engineering is you're you're solving problems you need to have logic you need to be resourceful to be able to go and say i'm going to look so like you said you could google something that can be an answer to a question like finding the answer somewhere else okay. um and okay. especially when teams are busy and, and unavailable sometimes so being able to yeah. solve problems and then the tool like if you show that you can learn a language or technology or a tool that's like fine then you as long as you learn the concepts you can replicate that experience and learn something else so we focus again like less on the the what the the exact thing you use and more on the mindset that comes behind yeah. it another key thing uh, i know i might be answering uh, something on a different tangential topic another thing i really look from individuals is <clears throat> do not have like a short term vision when they're addressing a problem sometimes like in the speed of things everyone is like running at like say 100 200 miles per hour what happens when we load the individuals engineers with too many request too many stories or too many epics they will be looking to solve the problem at that time so what causes with that whether it causes is downstream or down the line impact like scalability performance or some other security leakages i want them to focus on those what if like what if it will happen rather than saying okay i wrote like uh, three lines of code but what else can break it is what i want them to think that's so that's the analytical and the logical thinking to your earlier point i'm a big fan of what you've just said there so we're referring to okay you might have fixed a bug in that one scenario but then if you just fix that and you put a bandaid over it then you haven't really solved a long term problem it's a very finite way of approaching it and we actually as one of our eight values at strategio mm-hmm. we have think strategically act scalably So okay. everything you do it's about yes you want to think about where this can go you want to think about where it can go but you don't want to do it for yourself you need to do everything in a sense that the system the people the organization the other processes allow that when you're not around in the future someone else will will not have to experience the problem that you've had to already fix make it easy for the future version of yourself or for your future colleague yeah yeah totally totally agree So one of the other things that comes up a lot at the moment um and one of the big areas that I personally work on in, with our vision and mission at Strategio it's not just to uh create fresh talent and to find technology talent it's also to improve diversity equity and inclusion in this uh, technology industry so how do you build and maintain uh, DEI like a good strategy behind this while staying focused on modernization and technology transformation Yeah, it's if this is like another maybe the second biggest challenge i have you know, initial one as i said the talent the second one is about the diversity inclusion as well especially in these engineering roles um 
if I have a wand, I would like to definitely use it and somehow change the world. Uh, one thing I definitely like what you proposed when I talked to you earlier, is someone has to help in this industry go back to the schools, do the STEM education, encourage more diversity and show them the way uh, how they can achieve these, some of these goals. And that will be a great, great way of doing it. Personally, I'm willing to, ready to support any one of those kind of initiatives, like saying, that's why we are looking at internships and everything. If folks are coming in, we are ready to help them to grow in their career by mentoring them, uh, including them and giving them a shot uh, to the start of the journey and they can pick it up. If, as long as they have the right intent and the right attitude that they can take it and run with it, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good good way of looking at it. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I know we have a lot of similar mindsets on it, and I'm glad we we do agree. It's always good to learn how other folks are trying to do this. I, I think that the solution to the current lack of representation and and DE and I in this technology industry, it really is because people aren't looking early enough in the talent pipeline. If we're looking at one percent representation for Hispanic women in tech and three percent for African American women and twenty five percent representation for women as a whole. It's like, how can we improve on that without, like for me and you are both hiring from the same pool of mid and senior level talent. We're never going to change how it is. And there is an opportunity, like you've mentioned, there's many roles within our teams that as long as there's the right space for mentors, there's the right leaders in place and the right strategy and the systems, the processes we're talking about, then you can have early career talent. And when we're talking about things like increasing price price pressures, um, it also can lower the cost um, of a technology mm -hmm. hire as well. So I think that's, you're, you're exactly right. It's things like internships, it's fresh graduates, it might be bootcamp graduates, just folks who haven't yet got into the industry, but they're ready to take a shot and have that right mindset. Correct, correct, absolutely, yeah. Sometimes the energy levels, the thirst and the thrive are higher when you look at like fresh graduates or from the boot camps or interns, as you settle down for like say a decade or five years or decade, productivity level may reach a plateau and it may just stay there. So if I look at it from that angle, it's absolutely very well and very it's very really good to have that mix in a team. The seniority will bring the balance with the thinking and the thought process and the fresh talent will bring in that agility and the speed and innovation, thinking differently outside the box. Like say, I can come and tell you, Connor, I've been doing this for the last 10 years, but you can challenge me and say like, yeah, you might be doing the last 10 years the same thing, but now I found you a different way. It will help you. My eyes will be open. I love it. That's, I say this stuff all the time. I'm glad we agree on it. It's like you... You could be saying, well, hey, I've got all the experience. I know everything. And it's like, yeah, but I've done it a completely different way. And I've solved the problem in a more effective way. Because sometimes there's multiple ways to actually solve one particular problem. Or it could be the person you've mentioned that could be at a plateau. They could have had nine times trying to solve the same problem. And on that, the, the fresh young, or maybe not necessarily young, but the fresh person to the team can come in on the 10th, they might try 10 times. And that 10th time would have been the one that you solved a really complex problem. Right. So just that energy, sometimes the passion, and also that ability to learn and grow and to shift. I think it's good, the fresh perspective, that cognitive diversity that the team needs, not just people from different, uh, you know, race or ethnicity or gender, but also from different locations, different age groups, right. this all adds to the team being more high performing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I think we, 
we've discussed a lot about the restaurant industry. I, I'm interested to hear, and it may not be the easiest one to answer, but right now we're getting data, we're using IoT, uh, we're in this transformation processes where we're, we're you know, moving forward to deliver experiences to customers quicker and faster than ever before. What's coming next? Where's the future of the, of the restaurant industry? It's, uh, it's going to continue there like an automation world, in the, whether it is in the kitchen, whether it is in the front office or uh, back office, like robots, robotic automation, uh, uh, RPA, right? Robotic process automation or any of these things are going to continue to grow. And we have recently partnered with, a, I forgot the company name, robotic company, the arm that does the chicken wings in Buffalo right. Wild Wings. So those kind of innovations will continue to, the future is going in that direction. And of course, the convenience for the consumers. Yeah, because the pandemic, now it is all curbside pickup or drive-throughs or deliveries. Tomorrow it could be something. So that evolution will continue and keep us on our toes from a technology perspective to see it, respond and nurture it and scale it. So it continues to happen. To me, it seems like there is a ton of opportunity yeah, it sounds yeah. like it's like yeah we're doing some stuff now but there's a long way to go like there's so it's the kitchen like you've mentioned using that uh, uh, the actual robotics or just the robotic process automation in general there's even the delivery like i, I saw i see it every day here in miami we're going through a pretty cool tech boom they're um they're having robots delivering food delivering to people's food. apartments right so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, is that something you think that most cities will be seeing in the near future I believe so, especially wherever you see the metros. Uh, I think these things will start continuing to be more and more, um, what do you call it, like the norm or the traditional stuff is going to evolve in, uh, in the very near future. Absolutely. It's, it's exciting, isn't it? It's like we're, we're, yeah. in a sci- we're beginning to be in a sci-fi movie at this point. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, yeah. Right. I'm like I'm like expecting a drone to drop my pizza. It's already there too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, it's crazy. So we, Sai, we, we've reached the, um, the, the point for our three quick fire questions. And, you know, we always ask uh, every guest who comes onto the show to, to run through something mm-hmm. similar. So number one, if you had the chance, what is the number one thing that you tell your younger self on day one of their first job? Understand why. Question why. Those are the two things I would uh, self-instruct myself as well at the first day of my job. Again, in the earlier conversation, I was saying that solving is not a major hurdle, but really understanding the why behind it is the biggest thing. And especially as I come fresh in the market, like as a graduate or as a as a, as a boot camp individual, I come out of that. If I don't understand the why behind it, the solution will not look beyond. It will just look for that day or for the next day. So that's the one I would self-teach myself. Love it. That's a great answer. Mm. Number two, what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders? Uh, I know you were asking me one, maybe I'll say two. Courage and humility. It's, it's kind of like opposite ends, like somewhat opposite ends. Courage, need to take some decisions. Can't like linger around, especially as we discussed in the last like 45 minutes. Things change on a rapid, rapid pace. You can't, you have to have courage, risk, take like act, uh, decisions risk-based. So it's okay to falter once or twice, as long as you learn and you don't repeat it, but 
have the courage to take decisions and move forward and the humility is like stay ground we are every one of us are learning on every day basis i have i don't know any of the world of information on the devops yet i still learn every day so stay humility do not show any of the ego to any of your next generation team that leaves a bad impression are sending them in the bad direction for them when they are growing in their careers so those are the two traits i would I think that's really inspiring to hear the point about to uh, to stay humble with it as well because that's so true we have to continuously learn it's actually another one of the values we have at strategio continuously learn and give back that knowledge to other people you know you can never know enough even when you think you're at the top there's no such thing as that yeah number 3 what is the number one non-negotiable skill that you expect from everyone that you hire uh top of my mind that comes as commitment commitment is the number one i would look for any of my hire along with attitude again as i go back and say, reflect on what i shared with you if i have the right attitude and the right commitment i can solve the world's problems i have no doubt about it any individual can solve them so these two are like really needed for me if i'm looking for anyone i'm hiring as all, all all great answers and i think again they're, they're very inspiring and a, and a good way to uh, to look at it from if you're entering the the career and the technology um community at this point could be great or if you're a fellow leader looking for for ways to learn and improve these can also be really uh, really good answers for you as well so it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you i've learned a lot talking with you and i'm really excited to hear how you're doing how inspire brands is doing and to see where you go in the future thank you so much for joining me today Oh absolutely Connor thank you very much again for the opportunity you have given me I'm very happy to share my thoughts and hope it helps someone whoever is going to listen to the podcast uh, in their career and any feedback I'm more than happy to receive as well thank you awesome and everyone listening you will be able to see all of size links um, and the links to inspire brands uh, in below whether you're listening on Spotify uh, Apple podcast RSS or or SoundCloud so you'll just look below and you'll see those links Thank you for listening to today's episode of the DevOps Diversity podcast. I've been your host Connor Dellenbank, and today's episode was brought to you by Strategio.